I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewings of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honour. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. But take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. When I watched the royal wedding beaming around the world from Westminster Abbey, one of the oldest and most revered Anglican churches in the world, I had a sense of pride. And I realized two billion people are receiving the counsel of Scripture right now. And he's reading a core doctrine. This is what the shape of the Christian life is supposed to be looking like. And so it was encouraging to see that. And I started thinking as I'm watching this, but is this what life really looks like? Is this what my life looks like? Is this what the faith of the church of Jesus Christ around the world really looks like? And the answer that seemed to come back to me was sort of, sometimes, 
mostly when it's convenient, when there's not some sort of compelling loophole or reason why we can't, then we do. And yet, this scripture from the book of Romans doesn't seem to suggest loopholes. It seems to be this is what your life is to be shaped like if you're going to be a disciple of Christ. So the scripture that we're studying today is equally compelling and coming from the same place. I confess at the outset, I've been a bit apprehensive about this one. I've been thinking about this for a couple of weeks. And I I confess, there have been days as I think through this scripture that I've been discouraged. I've even logged in on days, because we have cameras everywhere in here, and watched people eating their lunch and watched our little busy bees serving everybody and watched people talking, interacting. And I've sat there and looked at it and felt, does, does any of this really matter? Does any of what we're doing really matter? Now, I have no doubt in my mind that God said to do this. Jill and I rearranged and reoriented our entire lives to head in this trajectory because God said to do it. And we prayed a long time to get here. And we shared this story with Brad and Paige, and they prayed a long time to get here. And we shared the story with Jason and Sandy, and they prayed. And then we shared the story with so many of you who are sitting here today. And we dreamed about doing something different, trying to create some sort of context that wouldn't stereotype us before we ever said a word. And so we built this place. I have no doubt that God said to do that. So this discouragement wasn't, are we reaching our dream? Have we reached this eight-month benchmark that we should be at? Are we doing what we're supposed to be doing. I guess the discouragement comes as I look and zoom out at the bigger picture and see the utter complacency of the church, of Jesus Christ. And so looking in on this cafe and saying, does any of this matter, makes it more localized, makes it more real to me. I suppose it started when the news came across the wire that Osama bin Laden had been confronted and killed in Obadabad, Pakistan. My initial reaction as an American was good riddance. We told you we would find you in whatever hole you were hiding in and America delivers on its promises and I hope the last thing you thought was bummer and the president came on and he gave the word the tyrant is dead and I watched it and I was like this is a historical moment but then the cameras zoomed out in front of the White House and then they cut down to ground zero and people were dancing in the streets 
and jumping up and down. And something about those images twitched inside of me. Because I remember very well on 9-11, watching the towers fall and feeling the shock of it all and watching us all shake our heads in astonishment that this could happen. And I remember the cutaways to the other side of the world and people dancing in the streets and jumping up and down that this terrible wound had been inflicted on the great Satan, America. And I remember shaking my head then and going, how have we been so mischaracterized? That's not the American spirit. How have we been so miscast? That's not how I feel about you people. And then I realized, yeah, these images are going to go back across the world. And in the American way, we'll say, who gets the last laugh now? But I've been troubled because I'm not certain that's the Christian posture. I'm, I, can't, I can't see Jesus dancing in the streets of Washington about this. And so that's what's troubling to me. It's troubling when we try to co-opt God to justify our existence. And we are the best at it. We have made baseball, apple pie, and Jesus part of the DNA of who we are. Where it gets tough is when you try to say, God is for me and against everyone else. And we do it. And using that logic, it breaks down. For example, was it God's will that the Indians be relocated from Tennessee to Oklahoma was the trail of tears God's will. Because using that logic, the American military won, apparently so. Was it God's will that we were netting Africans on the west coast of their continent and dragging them over here to be slaves? Apparently so, using that logic, because we won. Apparently, it was God's will. So it breaks down when we co-opt God to justify our way of life. I love our way of life. We are an abundant, prosperous, spoiled people. We have everything. And I like that. But if you've ever traveled abroad at all and come home, you realize just how prosperous and wealthy we actually are. So is our way of life really something God would be fighting for? We are a consumer-driven, market-saturated society. We want what we want. We want it right now and buy it. God, we're going to find a way to get it. 
our issues are rarely ones of life and death. They're usually ones of discomfort. And we usually pitch a fit if we don't get our way. Next to the Jesus Christ of the Gospels, I have a hard time. I've been reading the Gospels now for many years, and it's confusing to me. Jesus uses a rock for a pillow, and he's a homeless guy. Yet he is God and owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Why isn't he in a well-apportioned mansion outside of Jerusalem? That's what he should be doing. Jesus is found touching the untouchable, hanging out with the riffraff, the kind of people we shield our children from, the kind of people we look the other way as we pass. What is he thinking? Jesus is found down on his knees, washing the stinky, dirty feet of his friends. Seriously, we pay good money to our Asian American friends down at the nail place to do those sorts of things. What is he up to? What is Jesus doing? Because he's somehow not doing the American dream. And I'm confused. So I walk into this place and I see people interacting with each other. And I come in here on Sunday and I see your faces and I truly feel love that God has given us to each other. I truly feel that way. But what scares me, what twitches inside of me in the same way that these images in Washington did is that if we follow the American way, what we're going to say is, I love this place. It's life-giving to me. It serves my family well. And we're going to grow complacent. And the second that happens, we're going to begin to die because that was never the DNA that we constructed. It'll be like cancer to us. And some of the commentaries about Osama bin Laden some of the bloggers and talking heads in Christendom were making this as if the kingdom of God had just taken a giant surge forward. That we had all grown dramatically, spiritually because of this. And I'm thinking, really? We had nothing to do with this. None of us did any of it. And that's another way that we live this American identity. We'll sit down on any given Sunday and watch an epic battle between our team and the evil enemy invader. And if our team wins dramatically, we'll rise to our feet and feel as if we've done something important and significant. When the truth is, we've watched TV for two hours. <laughs> Have we really, really gone this far to sleep? 
have we really bought this much of the false reality? The reality is we have indeed been invited to an epic story. One in which the redemption of all things is upon us. And we have been invited to play a vital role in bringing this kingdom. And yet we live mostly distracted to it, looking for the quick fix, the feeling of something epic without the true struggle for it. So, a circle back to the cafe. Are we to be satisfied here? Maybe so. Indeed, we have stories of people coming to know Jesus here. We have stories of broken hearts coming back to life here. We have stories of the calloused heart sprouting new life and reaching for community that was all but lost here. We have done well for the very short history. On the other side of that camera are significantly more people than are in here. And many of them are doing what they thought they would never do again. Participate in something Christian, something religious, something communal. And there are stories of restoration on the other side of that camera. There are people that are looking in here at us and saying, I'm a part of them, and they are a part of me. And they are. We are a part of you. You are a part of us. So I would say for a little community eight months old, we're as progressive of a little bunch as I know anywhere. We've done well. So, yeah, we should be satisfied. But what lingers and what scares me is that we rest in the satisfaction that we're doing well. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. A new commandment, Jesus says. A commandment, not a new suggestion, not a plan, not a concept, not a high moral value. Jesus says, I command you to love one another as I have loved you. This is after the resurrection. So Christ is saying, I have withheld nothing from you. I have died for you. I have laid myself to death for you. Now, I command you to love one another as I have loved you. 
Why is Jesus talking so pointedly? This is a little bit uncharacteristic for Jesus. A lot of times he's trying to explain something very complicated with a story. It's like this, he'll say. But he's not like that in this time. He's saying, I'm commanding you to do this. Why? Love is the weapon of the kingdom. Love is the force that cannot be overcome. Love is the essence of God. Love is the one thing that we have that no one and nothing can outmaneuver. Love causes a reaction. Love forces a reckoning. And even if the reaction is a negative, love forces a choice. Love conquers all, the Bible says. Love conquers all, the Bible says. Love conquers all, the Bible says. Scripture tells us in the end there's going to be three things left. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So, I'm not trying to take us on some esoteric exercise this morning. Jesus gives a direct command for a very specific reason. Love is something that is active and aggressive and utterly destructive to the forces of evil set against God's kingdom and set against God's children, us. Love destroys the lies embedded in the hearts of men. Love resurfaces the worn-out pathways of the weary soul. Love is the glue that binds a family together. Love is the only thing that can heal a broken heart. God is love. And this is what we are carrying. And this is what we are supposed to be infecting our world with. The opposite of love is not hate. Hate is a strong presence, full of rage, in the same way that love is a strong presence. But the death of either one of them is the same thing. See, love cares a lot, but hate cares a lot as well. The death of either of them is the same thing. Utter indifference. To not care at all. By this all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. So the converse would be true. By this, no one will know 
by your indifference. During World War II, there was a man, his name was Oscar Schindler. And he was a businessman. And he found himself on the fast track because he was able to run his plant, his manufacturing facility, on forced slave labor of the Jewish people. And he was making a lot of money. And he was finding himself in more and more influential positions. And he was finally the playboy he had dreamed of being. He had everything a guy could want. He's at the apex of the German advance over Europe. Until something happened. One day, he saw humanity and the people he had enslaved. And this changed everything. And Oscar began to spend his money and resources to buy the lives of these people. And he ended up spending everything he had trying to outlast the war to save people he had begun to care about and even love. And he drove himself to complete bankruptcy to save these people. In the end, he saved over a thousand lives. And we could applaud this story, and we should applaud this story. This is one of a man who sacrificed everything he had to save the lives of his friends. We could say, well done. And it would be true. Well done. But when the war was over, Oscar's posture wasn't that of, well done, look at what my life has meant. I will go down in history as somebody who did the right thing. His posture was, I know who I am and I know what I had. And although I've done good, I know I could have done more. I know I could have saved more lives. I'll show you a clip about this story. I 
could have got more. Oscar, there are 1,100 people who are alive because of you. Look at them. If I made more money. <laughs> I threw away so much money. <laughs> you have no idea. If I just... There will be generations because of what you did. Why did I keep the car? Ten people right there. Ten people. Ten more people. This pin. Two people. This is gold. Two more people. Raise your hand if you know a single parent. Raise your other hand if you know someone who does not know Jesus. Look around. If you are going to come to the Lord's table today, you are saying the love and sacrifice of Jesus Christ has changed everything irreversibly in my life. Nothing could or can ever be the same because of Christ's love. You are also giving solidarity to every other believer on this planet today that confesses Christ. You are saying the long history of saints that goes back in time is what I'm a part of. Those who were fed to wild animals, those who were burned at the stake, those who were beheaded, those who were tortured to death, their blood that flows in church history, that winds its way to this day, has given us this freedom. And we are also pledging allegiance to transfer the treasure of the faith to the emerging generation in better shape than we got it in. That would be what's coming to the Lord's table represents. But by raising your hands, you are also saying, I know the broken. I know the lost. Christ Jesus in, his, in the text today says, I 
command you. I command you to love one another as I have loved you. I'm not suggesting this to you. This isn't an optional piece of Christianity. I'm commanding you. Why would we build a community of healing if it were not to heal? Why would we cloak ourselves in a cafe so that we wouldn't be stereotyped before we ever said a word, if not to build relationships? Why would we pack ourselves in here like sardines and not even have a place to put our babies? This is the worst possible church growth strategy in the world. (laughs) But we didn't come here to plan a church. We didn't come here to build an ingrown community. We came here to be people of outreach. We came here to be missionaries. So... When we planted this place, the prayer was, God, Spring Hill, Tennessee, one of the most wealthy, affluent counties in America, a bedroom suburb of Nashville. What can we be missional about in Spring Hill, Tennessee? Shouldn't we be downtown? Shouldn't we we be among the urban the book of James tells us the true religion is to care for the needs of the orphan and the widow ironically in this little suburb of ours we have a real true bona fide orphanage when we were praying Jesus what does the orphan and the widow look like in America today, we're not going to find many homeless people sleeping on the side of the road down here. And we felt like God was saying, the single parents, they're stretched to the extreme. They're nailed to the wall. They're spread out as thin as they can go trying to be everything. And our community is full of them. They are everywhere. These houses are full of single moms and dads. And we're saying that we know who they are. So, why would God put us in a wealthy county in a suburb of Nashville? Because that is the greatest mission in our country because Jesus said it's almost impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven so where else would we be so I'm asking you begging pleading that we don't die of complacency I'm asking you not to think about being missional. It's, we've talked an excellent game. We have truly talked an excellent game. But we're going to keep talking an excellent game until we do something. If you truly know a single mom, then engage her this week. Go get her 
this week, if you know somebody who doesn't know Jesus, then engage them this week. And you say, yeah, you can't just go dropping the J word on people that don't really know you. We built a place to create relationships and delivered it to you on a silver platter. Go, do it. It boils down to this. Do we truly believe the gospel of Jesus Christ is actually good news? Do we believe that the irreversible change that has taken place in our hearts and the radical difference that Christ has made and the hope of eternity, the hope of salvation, is that really good news or not? Because if you have good news to give somebody, then what are you afraid of? Do you think a stretched out, ragged out single mom is going to find defense at you giving her true, unselfish love? Do you think a person looking for the truth, trying to make life work on their own terms without Jesus, is going to be offended at your act of selfless love? They're not. They will know we are Christians by our love. They will not know by our indifference. So Jesus would come before you. And as we prepare to come to your table, Lord, we repent. Come, Holy Spirit, not only with a sense of conviction and change, but give us a passion for those that you are passionate about. Bring to mind in this final, in these final moments of this service together, those that you would ask us to reach out to with love. Those that you would ask us to actually be your disciples Who are those people? Bring those people to mind now, Holy Spirit, we ask you. And give us the courage that it's going to take because we don't like to be uncomfortable. We're Americans. Get us beyond ourselves and let us realize that the American part isn't the important part. The disciple part is the important part. with two billion professing Christians on this planet, if we would but take up our crosses and follow you, the kingdom is truly upon us. With two billion professing Christians on this planet today, praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This world would be changed and so we have gone to sleep in our complacency and our distractions and our addictions and our busyness and our responsibilities and our obligations 
Holy Spirit, begin to wipe those things away and let us see things as they really are. And may we who have been drawn together in this community of faith to be missionaries begin to live up to what we've claimed we wanted to do. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ.